Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode four of the Buyer's Market Podcast, where we help architecture, engineering, and construction professionals navigate change across the industry to identify and engage their ideal audience. I am not your host, Matthew Winkelstein. My name is Nathan Doyle. I'm the head producer on this lovely show. I am here today with your uh, regular host, Matt, um, and today we're going to just kind of take a look back at the past three episodes, explore some new conversations, um, pull out some threads that we've seen pop up from time to time, and just explore some questions that we've been asked um, by some of our peers in the space. Um, so as for me, again, my name is Nathan Doyle. I've been a part of this production since day one. Um, my background is in digital marketing and B2B tech sales um, and helping people better understand how that kind of digital transformation narrative ties into their industries. Um, so my goal today is to sit down with Matt and just kind of explore his experience um, and his experience as a pod podcast host and see where we can go with that. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I, I'm, I'm excited to be on here with you. You know, you're normally behind the scenes, pulling some strings, making us all look good. So it's nice to see you getting some airtime. And I'm excited to hear you uh, pepper me with some questions. <laughs> no, I'm excited about it. I've been looking forward to peppering you with questions for a long time. <laughs> uh, so with that, let's start with the kind of the question that I think is on all of our minds. I know I've had to explain this to my wife like 17 different ways over the past month and a half or so, but what is this? Uh, what is the buyer's market? Why does this matter? What are we trying to accomplish here? Yeah, so uh, so let's start with why we call it the buyer's market, right? So in the AEC space in particular, it, it wasn't a buyer's market for a long time. It was more of a constructor's market. It was an engineer's market because they had all the knowledge. They had all the information. And so if customers or buyers needed to get that information, they needed to come to one of these firms to get it. And so our observation has been that's changed, particularly in the last 10 to 15 years. And so whether you realize it or not, you're in a buyer's market if you're in this space. And so we thought that was a fitting name for the podcast, The Buyer's Market. And so what we wanted to do through this is we've been talking a lot about these hypotheses, the way we feel buying behaviors have changed, but we wanted to hear it directly from the people that actually make these decisions. We wanted to hear from them directly. So if you're a P&L leader, if you're a marketer, if you're a sales professional, you're hearing directly from these customers that their buying behaviors have changed. And that way you can start to sell to your customers better. It's leading with empathy, it's thinking about them. And what better way to do that than hearing directly from the people that are making these decisions? Nice, nice. Um, I think the, the the big point that I'm particularly interested in that I kind of hark back on um, in a lot of the conversations that I've had with like the on the tech side is that leading with empathy side, that point of trying to understand your customer and their pain points and their experiences so that you can kind of cater your services to meet those needs. Um, and I, I thought it was really interesting in our last episode, you and Doug sat down and had a really interesting exchange about how companies kind of struggle with that message that, that they tend to make it a little bit more brand centric and a little bit less customer centric. Um, why do sellers tend to fall into that trap and what can they do to get out of it? That's a great question. Um, you know, and, and, and I know a lot of people get frustrated about this. And I see people get frustrated on both sides. If you talk to a contractor, they're going to tell you that their customers don't think about them. And I don't necessarily believe that's true. What I think ends up happening is the the companies that are trying to sell into these spaces, they value what they do so much and they believe what they do brings so much value to the customer that they try and explain it in their terms. 
The problem is they have so much more intrinsic knowledge about their company, about the people in their company, about the things that happen in their company, that when they say certain things, it means something inside that organization that it doesn't necessarily mean outside the organization. And so from a customer's perspective, they're hearing very, very um, internal facing messaging that they don't necessarily understand or as difficult to relate to them. And so I, I feel like people do have the best of intentions. They're thinking they're communicating with the customer, but they're really telling the customer what they want the customer to know. And I don't really see a lot where people say, hey, time out, what does the customer really want to know and how do we help them understand that? And then once they understand that, then we'll have an opportunity to talk about us and ways we can help them. So when we talk about kind of that that brand centric messaging and and trying to find that bridge into helping your audience understand what you do, I know there's a really topical conversation right now across the AEC space about qualifications based contracting, those those collaborative delivery models where you're not necessarily looking at pricing but you're looking at okay who's the best person for the job and when when i was listening to that conversation with doug and even other conversations we've had with justin and bill up to now that that point of helping people understand the value that you bring and balancing that with people's ability to find the value that you bring on on their own kind of really really stuck out to me um in your opinion, in your experience, how can companies kind of walk that line between demonstrating their value, demonstrating their qualifications, uh, but without but without kind of overbearing the audience in the process? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, I'd like to answer that in two parts. So the, the first thing, I guess the piece of advice I'd give anyone, and, and I give this a lot, it's take it one step further. So you're, most people talk about how that benefits them. Um, like we have... Uh, the most talent in the organization. We have uh, the most engineers in this particular spot, or we deliver this project at, at this level. Take it the step further and help your customer understand what does it actually mean for them. So when they get the best engineers, what does that look like? How does that help them with their problems? Um, the second thing, I, I, I really like where you went with the value-based contracting there and putting that information out there because you know we heard it from Doug, we've heard it from Justin, we heard it from Bill and some of his customers. People are making these decisions at the customer level and informing their decision-making process when you may or may not even be around. And so if they're going out there trying to find information to validate who do we want to bid on this, are they qualified to be able to do this, and they're doing that at off hours or maybe they just want to do digital research and you're not showing up, you're not helping them make their decision. And so you can get frustrated and say, hey, I can't believe we weren't on this bidder's list or we were qualified to do that. But the reality is, We've heard it through every interview interview we've done so far, and we have some more on deck that will also illustrate that buyers are performing their own research. They're making at least part of the decision based off how you show up online, because that's where they're looking for information. And so if you're not making it easy for them to understand your qualifications, if you're not making it easy for them to understand what you do, it's difficult for them to understand what your value is and if you're, if you're the right person for this project. And in the best case scenario, you're going to end up behind the eight ball because they're going to know more about your competitors. In the worst case scenario, you're going to end up you're going to end up not on the bidders list because they didn't know you were qualified for that job. Yeah, I know, kind of in my experience on the the B two B side, the the place we always kind of tried to circle back to again is that added value element of building content that 
not only adds value and kind of demonstrates your skill set, but adds value regardless of whether or not someone makes a sale of saying like, hey, I understand that you have this problem that you're dealing with and I want to help you deal with this immediate problem. And if you if that turns into a lead or a sale, then that's awesome. But I want to build that relationship so that you trust me enough that when you have a much bigger problem that you can't fix yourself, that you come to me for that. That's kind of how I've always tried to frame a lot of these digital conversations is that like when you're online, you have this immediate connection to someone's home office, the living room or their cell phone or their laptop or their iPod or iPad or whatever. And you're able to get there real quick and you can get there real quick with one very specific message before they run out of attention. And you got to pick what that message is. And it's either, hey, look and see how great we are or here's this experience you're having, we can help guide you through it. Yeah. That, and, and you don't you don't see a lot of that in our space, you know, and you hear it a lot though. You hear a lot about people want to get to that trusted advisor spot. Well, you know, that that trust and that credibility is built in a different way now. And you see some organizations in our space that are trying to make those steps, but it's still a lot very company focused messaging. It's still very much, you can see them trying to educate some people on the market, but here's a little bit of education. Here's a gated piece of content so I can pepper mm -hmm. you with some emails. Mm -hmm. That's that's the that's the furthest I've seen in our space, contrary to probably what you're used to dealing with where B2B software as a service, B2B tech is a little bit further advanced than ours is, our yep. EC space. I, I, I wanna step that back just a little bit because you brought up the trusted advisor conversation and I think that's, always a really, really unique spot to kind of want to land in because it's such a nebulous idea when, at least in the in the the business relationship, because like when I think of trusted advisors, there's the influencer side of it, there's the digital presence, there's the person that I can know I can rely on, there's the professional side of it, there's the businesses that I can go to and I know are gonna do, do a good job. And there's also a certain like personal side of that too. Like there's um, an old mechanic that used to operate down the street from here that I trusted implicitly because when I took my car to him, he would turn me away and say, no, you can fix that yourself. And it's that like that rhythm of, okay, you're going to turn me away or you're going to help me solve a problem that you know I can fix. Um, and it's this interesting balance of monetization and relationship building and community engagement um, in a way that kind of scaffolds up to where you're trying to accomplish um, that I think harkens back in a really nice way to a lot of like traditional sales strategies and that kind of whining and dining rhythm. Um, does that does that translate into the AEC at all or do your experience? Um, I, I think it does translate to the AEC space. I've just yet to see it done well. And uh, yeah. let me elaborate on that a little bit more. I, um, I see some people trying to be that trusted advisor, but there's still always that hook. There's not really the commitment to I'm legitimately trying to help. And so um, from a digital standpoint, where I see it suffer is you'll see people putting decent content out there. You'll see them put a little bit of content out there. Maybe they're doing even good content. Then you get to a gated form. That's friction. It's difficult for someone to be able to get that next piece of information. And then you're not as trusted at that point. Another thing, and Justin talked about it, you know, you see people that do really good work to create this content and they have their people that are out there. And then the customer gets to your landing page and they want to be able to talk to you and they fill out a form and you don't communicate with them for a week. Or maybe you don't get back to them at all. 
And so all that work that you did online to become the trusted advisor, all of a sudden that's gone. In the in-person sense, everyone can probably relate to this, is where you're working to be the trusted advisor, you're working to be the trusted advisor. And then when a customer has a problem that you may not want to deal with or maybe doesn't have high margin, and then all of a sudden you don't want to be the trusted advisor anymore, you want to pass them off to somebody else. And that that doesn't work very well either. And I think that both of those situations are um, problems of, this, of different sides of the coin where one's an in-person one. The other one is how are you going to transition digitally to in-person? Because that's the misnomer in this space. You're not selling $100 million projects through LinkedIn ads or through influencer marketing or any of these tactics or strategies that we know work. You're trying to inform your potential audience so you can form new relationships. And if you're just going out there trying to form your relationships, you're going to do it differently than if you think you're trying to convert everyone to a sale. Run with that for me a little bit. What is when you say like out there trying to form new relationships in a digital space? Uh, what does that look like when you kind of define that? So um, you hit on it earlier where it's it's creating it's what does the customer need to know? What questions do they have in this marketplace? with the experience that you have with multiple customers, how can you aggregate that information that you're hearing and present it in a way to them that is, um, that you're not asking for anything in return. You're not asking for anything in return to them. You're just giving the information out to them and then letting them come to you whether they want to or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I totally get that. It's that it's putting the control back in the customer's hands for a little while and letting them dictate the terms of the engagement so that when they're ready to close and a little bit more qualified and a little bit more clear on what they're trying to accomplish, they, they know you're there, they know where they're going, they know what they're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. So how does, does that process differ from the traditional AEC mindset? So the the AC mindset isn't very digital. There are very few companies that I would say are are digital facing, let alone even even good at doing digital. And so the way the sales process typical typically is, you know, you hire a sales team, you go outbound, form relationships with you know as many people in your target audience as you can. You strengthen those relationships over time, and then when they have an opportunity, then you step in there, right? Um, now I, that's shifted a little bit where you have the ability to you have the ability not to necessarily go out there and pound the pavement to form these new relationships. You have the ability to create content that helps them form new relationships in that way. And that's um, that's that's different way to think about sales. It also brings sales and marketing way closer together because sure. in the in a lot of AEC firms, marketing is events. It's events. It's internal collateral. It's external collateral. It's not real marketing. And so that misalignment doesn't help, but then also it's it's uh, it's not really serving the customer very well if all your marketing team is doing is making presentations that talk about yourself. I know a lot of event marketers that just have a <laughs> big problem with that sentence. <laughs> hey, not that of not that events aren't important. It's just that can't be the only thing because I de there's definitely a, a a place for that. You need that, right? You can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. You need good you need good in person events. You need good collateral. You need good presentations. But if that's the only thing your marketing team's doing, you're missing opportunities, and eventually you're going to feel that. Sure, 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 sure. And that's a, that's such an interesting like transition or at least tension. I think is probably the better word for just how we've been living over the past two years. It's like. It's not exactly like 
you can go to a, a trade show or go to a conference in like I can't go to Cleveland and go to content marketing world or something like that um, in the same way that you can't travel to Omaha or, and go to a big conference there. And so how does kind of that push that transition um, help keep those relationships going and kind of keep that mindset moving? Um. So I, I, I would say during the what back up to what happened the last you know year and a half, however long it's been, I, I, I think we all have uh, um, some sort of PTSD from what the last year and a half or so has been like. But if you circle back and if you talk to BD professionals, if you talk to most organizations, if they had existing relationships, they were able to sell more into them because customers were doing work, but they weren't really trying to take on new vendors. Vendors that were trying to form new relationships were very challenged. I haven't heard of anyone that has has said, hey, you know what, during COVID, we formed a lot of new relationships in this space. It was a lot of expanding existing relationships. And then they people were really puzzled with how do we how do we transition into this new sales mode? And um I I don't really think I don't think anyone's doing it well. And I think right now the industry as a whole is trying to figure out. How are we going to sell like this? How are we going to respond to our customers like this in a time when things are going well? But as everybody knows in the AEC space, it only it's feast or famine. And so when the when the tide goes out, and you need to form new relationships. Though, are those ways still going to work? And now's a great time to start to form those. But I, I don't see a lot of it. I see a lot of people going back to traditional means and methods. Sure. sure. So what's the, the solution there then? Uh, we're getting a little bit more comfortable in our rhythms and getting back to uh, kind of the lifestyle that we used to know. And as a as a result, we're going back on old habits. What's the the antidote for that? Um, I, I think it's a lot of what we talked about previously. If if you know you took if you took a step back and started a company now, and you started the company by talking to customers and trying to understand how they buy and what they need, I don't think anyone would structure their organization the same way. But because people have been used to doing this, they've built organizations around this model. Um, it's difficult to shift. It's difficult for these people to shift. It's difficult for people to put their minds there because they're looking at what they already have. And like, well, we just need to continue to, to make it go this way. And so absent of going back to the start and starting and starting over, I think it's a combination of examining what you're doing and seeing if it's really adding value to your customers, seeing if it's really adding to your bottom line. And then also, this is a bigger, tougher one, but it's reskilling. You know, it's people that were traditionally doing this kind of marketing. We need to get them some education. We need to get them some skills so they can start to do this. Hey, we used to be structured like this where marketing was in proposals and did this kind of stuff. We need them more aligned with sales. And we need sales even to function a little bit different where we don't want you spending 30% of your time driving to all these different places to meet people. We want you working with our marketing team to create solid messaging that helps those customers. And then we want you working with customers that are coming to us saying, hey, you're the right partner. And then sales, that and sales really changes in that situation, right? Because right now you're spending a lot of time on that upfront stuff. Now all of a sudden you can get into real relationship forming and closing deals, which is what we really get paid to do anyways. I dig it. I dig it. Um, yeah, it's that that circles back to our conversation with Bill. Um, and one of the things that you guys kind of closed on was this idea of success as the enemy of progress. And this idea that hey, we've got done really really well over here. This is this has got to be as good as it gets. 
and that's not always true, is it? No, no, and I'm it's you're you're starting to see it too because you're there's there's almost this um, disjointedness that's happening in the marketplace where some people are leaning back into those traditional tendencies. Other people are experimenting or driving more towards these digital interactions and meeting customers where they are. And so right now what's happening in the AC space is there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work happening. There's the infrastructure bill. Um, it's, it's changing fuel sources. There's all these things that are making it a less competitive market. But as everyone in the AC space knows, those trends are temporary. And so um, I th what I think is going to happen in the future here is the the people that are living off the success and aren't really looking at the bottom line metrics where, hey, your revenue staying the same, but guess what? Your total addressable market just doubled. So although your revenue staying the same, you're actually getting a smaller slice of the pie. And what happens when that revenue pie goes down too? Does that also affect your revenue pie? And uh, in my opinion, that's what you're going to see over the next, you know, the next couple of years. There's going to be a lot of people making making good money doing these projects as more people enter this market because they see that. And as the revenue starts to go down, the infrastructure spending goes down, all these things start to go down. Then you're going to see who was working on themselves, right? Who was doing these things to help customers? Who was actually customer centric? Because when they don't have to work with everyone, they can work with who they want to. They're going to choose the ones that were there for them. And they're going to choose the ones that show up the best in the way that they want them to. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Ah. With that, with that, I want to transition into uh, my last question for now, and I'll pass it back to you and let you uh, let you close out the show as you normally do. Um, let's talk about routine. What is uh, <laughs> what is your daily routine to success? Oh man, that's a good one. I have um, I have quite a few of them. Um, my my morning routine is the one that I would say is the most consistent and is the most impactful to my day. I've been working on other parts of my routine. But that's a, that consists of as soon as I wake up in the morning, I drink 20 ounces of water and then I write in my notebook. I do a little bit of journaling in the bathroom, write three great things, uh, three things I'm thankful for, three things I want to go well today. And then I write this little um, this little saying I have. Uh, then I go downstairs and I meditate for 20 minutes. After I meditate, I journal again with different intentions. That's more of train of thought, trying to understand um, what what's really on my mind after that meditation. Then uh, I do that after I'm done with that journaling, I do a quick little exercise. So I make sure I get at least 10 minutes of exercise and then I go to planning my day. And so I look at what things I was supposed to get done yesterday that I did or I didn't get done. And then I have stuff that I need to get done for the week. And then I try and schedule my day based around my meetings when I can get the important things done and make sure that I'm putting the appropriate amount of time into my day. If my day is not as hectic, I'll start work around 8.30 or 9. There's other days where I'm, you've seen some of the emails. I start work around 5.30 in the morning because it's I have so many meetings, I have to get that stuff done. So starting my day with that intention starts me off on the right foot. It also allows me to make sure I'm working on the things that are important, not just the things that come up. Sure, sure. Not, not fighting fires and uh, running around answering urgency things with not mistaking the urgent with the important way yeah that. yeah and no, you know you no. you can you can wake up and look at your phone in the morning and get on instagram or linkedin or facebook and your whole world can be on fire that's <laughs> that's why i don't look at that stuff until further down in my not that i don't but not till further down in my morning i can i can pick my emergencies that way a little bit easier <laughs> that's why i don't get on twitter 
Wow. <laughs> With that, though, Matt, anything else you want to add? Anything else you think uh, we need to discuss in this fourth episode of The Buyer's Market? No, I just want to thank you again for doing this. I, I think this is great. Um, in the future, we're, we're going to continue to do this every three weeks. Um, we're going to either deep dive on a subject or we're going to talk about some things that came up previously. We have a perspective on this market that we believe is accurate and a little bit ahead of where other people's perspective is now. And so we want to test that. But we also want to give the marketers, P&L and sales leaders the more of the context from the interview. Like, how are we viewing things? We have a lot of experience with different customers in this space. What are they doing? What are we seeing in this? And how can we add more value to the marketing P&L and sales leaders in this space? And so I look forward to doing this every three weeks. Um, Nathan's got a wealth of stuff to offer too. So maybe we'll pepper him with some questions one day. Uh, but outside of that, I just want to thank him and also thank everyone that's taken the time to listen to this, everyone that's taken the time to rate it. I can't tell you how much it means. It's been incredible to see the amount of support we've received. Um, thank goodness for friends and family, but also there's been some strangers in there and um, can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And if you have specific questions or something that you're wondering about in this space, please message me. We'd, be, we'd love to talk about it. We'll work it into the show. We want this to add value to the people that are in this space. This isn't about us. We do have a position in the market, but that position changes based on the information we have. And what we really want to do is add value to the people that are listening. So if you have something, message us and we'll be glad to talk about it. Yeah, you can find us on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Nathan Doyle. He's Matthew Winkelstein. Uh, and otherwise, we'll see you next time. Awesome. See you next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs>